Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. It's good to see you all. Uh, great Sunday to be here. We're starting a new series. If you're new, we uh, teach on a certain to- topic for several weeks in a row. And this is a series like we've never, uh, different than anything we've ever done before. And it's called, Who Needs God? And I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on today. I think I do that every week. I don't say it. But this is going to have to think a little bit more today. But you're a smart group. I know that. So you can handle this. And uh, you know, this will go well. Uh, this is going to kind of build. So don't kind of make a judgment after the first week. Hang in there for the first couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully it will be very helpful and, and make a lot of sense to you. So uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Hopefully you had a good year this past year. One thing we don't know about the future is how next year is going to be, do we? Uh, we know if you're a Jesus follower that uh, um, God's in control of that. If you're not, we're glad, delighted that you're here. In fact, we're going to be uh, doing a teaching for you this morning, if you want to believe that, all right? So, <clears throat> who needs God? It's interesting. We talk about God. Why is it something we have to have faith in? It's so important. Why wouldn't we just believe it, know it? Not believe it, just know it. You know, I don't have to have faith that, that, you know, my wife is my wife. I know she's my wife. I got kids here. Three of my kids are here. I don't have to have faith and I have to try, try and believe and have doubts if they are my kids or not. I, I know they're my kids. So why is something so important as God, that, that this faith? Now, I understand God's invisible. My kids aren't. But it just seems like we should be able to know without a doubt. So we're going to try and figure this out over the next, next few weeks. It's interesting. For example, do you know, most of you probably know, that the earth is traveling at 67,000 miles an hour? And we don't even feel a breeze, do we? Uh, that's how fast it's going around the sun. And we all know that. We all believe that. Uh, and, and it's happening. It's true. And that we live in the Goldilocks zone. You know, everybody know what the Goldilocks zone is? It's the, uh, if the earth was any closer to the sun, we'd all burn up, right? If we were any farther away, we'd, we'd freeze to death. feels like we're freezing to death today, but uh, we'd truly freeze to death. So they say we're in the Goldilocks zone. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's what? Just right. Okay. So that's another fact about, uh, but when we talk about God, you know, God doesn't fit in those kind of like fa- uh, factual categories. And even if he did, we want something more personal. And when it's not personal, that's when we have problems. So we're going to ask the question, who needs God anymore, especially with advances in technology? I'm just thinking since the invention of the airplane a little over 100 years ago. Just imagine the advances in technology that we have. But I don't think the question is so much, do we need God anymore? Most people would be asking the question, who needs religion, right? Who needs religion? Uh, Religion just seems to be less attractive, uh, even if you grew up in church, now it just seems less attractive. Uh, other things seem more, a better, better use of your time. Uh, how many of you remember where you were at 9-11? Uh, 01. I remember I was in a meeting, actually a church meeting at a church, Greenbrier Baptist Church, and somebody came in and told me it happened. Couldn't really believe it. Got home and turned on the TV, and of course it did. And, uh, of course, the Pentagon and the plane in, in, in um, Pennsylvania also. So we all know about 9-11. We all know where we were. But do you know, most of you probably don't, and that's one reason we're doing this study, that there was this big anti-religion movement after 9-11. Now, who, do you remember church the Sunday after 9-11? What was church like the Sunday after 9-11? It was like Easter, wasn't it? 
It was like people came. But two or three weeks later, what was church like? Back to normal, right? Anyway, there was this kind of anti-religion push after 9-11, which is kind, of, kind of seems kind of strange. And we're going to talk about some of these guys that kind of spearheaded this movement. And we're going to show you some of their books and talk about them a little bit. So one of these guys' names was Sam Harris. And he wrote this book. He's a neuroscientist or something. He wrote this book called The End of Faith. And the subtitle is, uh, let me see, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. That was the subtitle. Now, I tried to get this book published. It's anti-religion, not just anti-Christian, but anti-religion. Twelve publishers turned him down because after 9-11, people would, they didn't think people would be interested in anti-religion. Well, the 13th publisher published his book, and it stayed at the top of the New York Times bestseller list for 33 weeks. Being anti-religious, other religions probably too, but Christians kind of pushed back at him. And he wasn't just targeting Christians, he was talking, targeting all religions. So then he wrote a follow-up book, and it was called Letters to a Christian Nation. And one of you guys have read it, and I need to talk to you about it. Um, so this was his uh, response to Christians, and the title was, subtitle is The End of Faith. And uh, he tells us why he wrote the book. In the, beginning of the, in the book, he tells us his purpose for writing this book. If this book works as I intended, religious readers, which would be most of us, who open it up will be atheists by the time they put it down. That was his goal. That was his purpose. Hopefully you're not, <laughs> Dan, that you read it. Um, but that was his goal. So he didn't accomplish the goal with you. And so there's other, other writers that kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Another one was a guy named Christopher Hitchens. And he wrote a book, God is Not Great. How religion poisons everything. And so they're saying that religion isn't just kind of neutral. It says religion is the problem. Religion is, we're worse off for having a religion. We'd be better off without it. Now these guys became famous. They became rock stars. They sold thousands and thousands of books. They're on the talk shows. They're on YouTube. You can watch them. They went to college campuses and debating and so forth. <clears throat> now, there wasn't this big influx of atheists after this. But a lot of people had the effect, a lot of people became, best word I can think of, disconnected with religion. And they actually have a name now. They're called the nuns, not N-U-N, <laughs> but N-O-Ns. Now, the experts tell us that 23% of Americans fit in this category. So one out of four of us would potentially fit in this category. Now, what's interesting to me is we all have friends, relatives, co-workers, people we go to school with that absolutely fit in this category, right? Now, it's not like they're hostile toward religion or Christianity. Next slide. They're not hostile. Uh, they're just not affiliated with They're not interested. It's unattractive. They're, they're detached. So if you fit, some of you may fit in this category. Maybe you're here for some other reason. Somebody made you come or you felt obligated to come. Well, the good news is now you got a name. <laughs> so you can go home and tell whoever, you know, I, I found out who I am now. I'm a nun. I'm not affiliated. I'm not hostile, just not affiliated. Now, here's what I know, especially, I can't speak about other religions. All you speak about Christianity is it is our fault, us, people like me that speak for Christianity and churches like ours, that people are becoming nuns because they just don't feel 
It's necessary. It's not attractive. It's not interesting. And you've, most of you heard me say this before. This is one of these things that kind of haunts me as a Jesus follower. People who are nothing like Jesus, in fact, as far away from Jesus, the biggest quote-unquote sinners of their day, like Jesus, they were attracted to Jesus. And many of them became Jesus' followers. And the other side was Jesus liked them. They were attracted to him. He was compelling to them. Now, do the nuns and a, a large portion of our population find us, the church, Jesus' followers, attractive and compelling? We're supposed to be Christ-like, Christ examples. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. We're supposed to be like Christ. So if he was attractive, we should be attractive. We're not attractive, so we must be, for a better term, the wrong version. Now, I don't know if you've heard this term before. Uh, we talk about being converted. You know, I wasn't a Jesus follower, now I am. Well, a lot of these nuns used to be Jesus followers, and now they're not. We call them deconversions. All right? You know, I, it's just not working for me anymore. Uh, it's not helpful to me. I can spend my time doing something else better. Now, when you listen to the, these deconversion stories, the interesting thing is the things that they have problems with, the things that turn them off, the things that make, quote-unquote, Christianity unattractive are the same things that would turn me off. I don't believe those things either. And so part of my goal during this series is to correct that miscomprehension or misunderstanding of true Christianity. So, who needs God? Week one, we're titling Atheist 2.0. All these folks that wrote these books after 9-11, they have been categorized as Atheist 2.0 because they've updated us on atheism. Now, one thing I know, a lot of people become atheists and a lot of people become Jesus followers. They get in before they know what they're getting into. All right? And so we're going to help the atheists or the people that may be leaning that way to understand better what you're getting into if you're rejecting religion and moving toward uh, atheism. Because here's the truth. You might not think about this, and those of you who are nuns and, uh, might not think about this, but <clears throat> you can't move away from something without moving towards something else. So if you're rejecting religion, all right, what are, you, what are your alternatives? Now, we're going to use the biggest extreme, which is atheism. And we think of Christianity as a complex belief system. Well, atheism isn't just, I don't believe in God. Atheism is actually a complex belief system. Not only is it a com complex belief system, it logically leads to some unsettling conclusions, at least to most of us. But here, this is really important, before we go any further. Unsettling is not a truth test. Let me explain. Uh, a little over a year ago, President Trump was elected. It was unsettling to a big bunch of people in the United States, right? But it was true. Eight years earlier, when Obama was elected, it was unsettling to a bunch of people in the United States. But it was still true. Eight or ten years ago, when we had this big recession. On, most of us lost like 40% of our retirement income. It was unsettling. It still is unsettling. It's come back now. Uh, but it's true. Some of you folks have daughters, sons, grandsons that are dating people that are unsettling. 
<laughs> but it's true, right? So unsettling doesn't necessarily mean untrue. So part of my goal this morning is to inform, and part of it is to scare you a little bit, all right? I'm just going to be upfront with it. I'm not going to be argumentative. I'm not going to take sides. I'm going to try and be objective as I can be. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you believe something different now than you used to believe? We all have, right? So you've had to listen to something objectively as possible and then change your belief system. So that's what we're going to do. Because a lot of nuns and some of you may feel stuck in the middle between, yeah, that Christianity thing, that church thing is not very attractive. But I don't know about the atheist thing either. So I'm going to try and explain to you, if you're going to gravitate toward atheism, what you actually believe, okay? All right, the first three are going to be kind of difficult to explain and probably you never heard before. Uh, the other three are pretty, pretty common. So number one, six tenets of atheism, delusion of mind. <clears throat> I thought of a best way for me to explain it to most of you that are Jesus followers. It would be the illusion of soul, all right? They would say that there's no you inside of your body. You're just biology, you're just chemistry, you're just laws of physics. All right? The way I can understand it is this way. There's no difference between me and an earthworm. All right? We're just biology, we're just chemistry, and we just kind of operate under instinct, and that's it. All right? They would say there's no you. You're just biology. If you're an atheist. Because right? the soul, the you, comes from a belief in God. So, <clears throat> Christopher Higgins, after he wrote his book, got cancer. He's, he died now. And he decided to write his kind of a journal, his, his death. I guess it's available. I didn't check. And uh, it made me think of my, my uh, um, daughter-in-law, Erin, when she died. She blogged, you know, her, her dying days. Well, he did this as, as an atheist. And his wife helped him as he got really sick. But he had cancer and he kept going to the doctors and the doctor was telling him, your body's doing this, your body's doing that, it's reacting this medicine, it's not reacting this medicine. Finally, he responded to these doctors because he doesn't believe in a you. And here's what he said. This will help you understand. He said, I don't have a body. I am a body. In fact, that's all I am is a body. So if you're an atheist, you don't believe in you or mind or soul. You just are a body. Now, I don't know how you live that way. I don't know how I can live that my wife is just a you. She's not a you. She's just a, a body. And I'm just a body. And you're just a body. But that's what you believe if you're a true atheist. Again, that's a little unsettling to me. But it may be true. The next two follow from the first one. If we are, there's not a you, then there's an illusion of free will. It's called determinism or fatalism, right? If there's not a me in here, then I have no free will. There's no soul, there's no me there to make decisions. It's funny, Sam Harris was complaining about his critics until one day he realized they can't help it. <laughs> That's they're, they're determined to do. They have no choice. Now, it's kind of hard for me to imagine, you know, I, I didn't have any free will in marrying who I married and other decisions I made in my life, but a true atheist doesn't believe in free will. Now, Stephen Hawking, most of you know who he is. He's this brilliant the theoretical physicist, all right? And uh, he's an atheist, and here's, here's something he said that kind of, I thought was kind of funny. 
He said, I've noticed that every, even people that claim everything is predestined, that's kind of a church word, right? That's determinism, right? You have no options. They, they can do nothing to change it, but they look before they cross the road. Well, why would you look? It's predetermined if I'm going to get hit by a car or not. See, again, is it livable? I don't know how you can live it. It's unsettling, but it may be true. The third one is the illusion of value. Now, we, we leverage this all the time. You made a decision this morning. It's more valuable for me to come to church than it is to do something else, right? We value, we leverage time all the time. We make decisions all the time about, I value this, that's why I'm going to spend my time. Of course, we do it with money and, and, and relationships and other things. But if there's no me and there's no free will, there's no value. There's only ascribed value, a kind of made-up value. So value bleeds over into justice. So I, you put this next thing on the, on the screen. Just, what I consider just or unjust, is just what I want it to be. Now, this is a little complicated. I don't think it's too complicated. You guys can get this. <clears throat> if there is no value, there is no justice. Now, it's interesting. We can talk about truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. They have their truth. You know, leave me alone. Let me believe what I want to believe. You believe what you want to believe. We call it tolerance, even though some people aren't very tolerant of what we believe. Uh, and that's not a problem, right? We all understand that. But how do you do that with justice? You have your justice, I have my justice, they have their justice. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. So you may think, and in fact, all our laws are based on justice, right? You may think, oh, killing is wrong, murder is wrong. But I might say, no, I'll just go shoot anybody I want. Of course, you can come next Monday and we'll talk about defending ourselves against shooters. See, if, if there's no value, there's no justice. Again, is that livable? Can you live that? I don't know how you live that way. It's unsettling, but it may be true. Now, these next three you've heard before. First one is something came from no thing, right? Once upon a time, there was nothing. And then all of a sudden, they would say a big bang, and now there's time, there's matter, there's space, and there's the laws, natural laws. Nothing, and then time, matter, space, and laws. Now, atheists admit they have no explanation for this. They call it the Big Bang, but they don't. What, what is the cause? How can we explain it? They, they admit. In fact, uh, Richard Dawkins puts it this way. The cosmology, the beginning of everything, is waiting on this Darwin. Someone to come along and give some kind of at least semi-rational explanation for this. There's no explanation why we even exist. A little unsettling, maybe? But it may be true. The other two kind of follow that one. Uh, first life emerged from no life with no help. That would be an atheist believes, right? We had all this matter, time, and stuff, and after enough time, all of a sudden this matter became life with no help. But even basic life, first life, they would say, and we would know, there's not such a thing as simple life. So even that first life was complex life, but it came with no help. Seems a little unsettling, <laughs> but it may be true. Consequently, then, the last 
tenet of atheism is this. Natural selection, or we call it evolution, is a response responsible for all life after first life. So uh, they have a hard time explaining that first life. In fact, we're going to read something here. But once it started, natural selection resulted in what we have today. Now, when we, people talk about natural selection, it sounds so much like me, to me, like an unstoppable force, kind of like Star Wars, you know, the force be with you. This is kind of this unstoppable force. That kind of sounds like something I believe in. But anyway, Richard Dawkins, he's trying to give some kind of a explanation, some feeling, some oomph into this idea of natural selection. So here's what he writes. Think about it. On one planet, and possibly only one planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more than complicated than a chunk of rock gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter with such staggering complexity that they're capable of running and jumping and swimming and flying and seeing and hearing and capturing and eating other animated chunks of complexity capable in some cases of thinking, feeling, and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. Now, I think maybe he was trying to make fun, but he really wasn't making fun. If you don't believe in a God, this is just amazing, isn't it? That this would happen without a God to do it. And then he gives, gives credence to, to Darwin. He says, we now understand essentially how the trick, I like that word, the trick is done. A little unsettling maybe, but maybe it's true. Now, sometimes we hear this stuff and we, our, our reaction is to kind of argue. So I wanted to read you something Paul wrote, because that's not our goal, and I, I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to do. In Titus, Paul wrote this, believers should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. So what is good? Never slander anyone. You might not believe something some of these guys have written, but never, don't speak badly of them, don't slander them, and, and avoid quarreling. We don't, it's the benefit to quarreling. Instead, you should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. You have value, your thoughts have value, just like mine does. So, if you're a, if you're a nun, you may have lost or losing faith in God. Um... But most of you, if you're a nun and the people you know that are nuns, they're not really going to believe the six tenets of atheism. They're just not, are they? And they would say, I don't have to. I can kind of be in the middle. But these guys, and they're a lot smarter than I am, they would say, no. You can't be in the middle. If you reject religion, this is what your options are. This is your choice. But you would say, no, I, it's just religion has lost its appeal. And my response to you, and it will be through this series, is this. Then you have the wrong God. In fact, that God never existed. Now, it may be an illusion that I have a mind and there's a you inside of here. It may be an illusion I have free will. It may be an illusion I have, there's value. It may be true that something came from nothing. That first life came from nothing with no help. And it may be true that all life since first life came through natural selection. 
These six tenets may be true, but what I know about most of you is that we hope not, don't we? Especially those first three. So, who needs God? I think we're going to talk about this for six weeks. Next week, we're going to, it's titled, No Testament. We're going to talk about all those gods that the deconversion people rejected that aren't really gods at all. So I hope you can join us. And if you're in a small group, or even if you're not in a small group, this would be a wonderful time to get in a group because we need to discuss this stuff. You know, the atheists know a whole lot more about what we believe than we know about what they believe, don't we? And we need to know this stuff. We need to help, especially the nuns that feel stuck in the middle. So I have a song, and then we'll let you go. Hope you can join us next week. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this information. And hopefully it's been accurate, the best I could, the best job I could do. Uh, I don't know about everybody else, but it's really unsettling to me. But I need to figure out if it's true. We all need to figure out if it's true. And we all have friends and loved ones that we could label nuns. They're stuck in the middle. And God, help us to uh, be gentle in our response to these folks. And we pray for anyone here that may consider herself a nun this morning or been through a deconversion or maybe never, never accepted or followed Jesus, that you might step across the line, get out of the middle. Say, I, I don't know, if, I know I don't believe that stuff, so let me start following Jesus and see if I believe that stuff. Uh, he would welcome you with open arms. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.